Amen. I want to I want to pray a blessing over you. But the other thing I want to do is I want to confirm Pastor Gary's word. Uh, when I sat down and the first song came on, I don't remember what was in it, but I heard the winds of change. Now that's not the first time I've heard that. There was a man named William Brannan that uh, waited on an angel that he called the winds of change. But I believe that the winds of change are blowing across this nation, and most importantly, it's blowing across the church. And the Lord wants the church to wake up. And if we believe the winds of change are going, then there's going to be a demand that's placed on your life that's going to ask God. God's going to demand that you walk in the anointing and the calling that you have. And one of the things about the anointing and the calling that you have is you have to understand that God wants you to fulfill the destiny that he has for you, not what you have for yourself. When you look at David, King David, there's two things I want you to realize. He couldn't have become king without Saul in his life. And remember, Saul's the one that challenged him. So those people that offend you, those people that bring, bring accusation against you, those people that throw spears at you, God's allowed them to be in your life so that you can grow and be, and be stronger, that you can fulfill the destiny that he has for you. The second thing is, and this is just a little bit reverse of how it happened, is David could have never been king without Goliath. And so when you are when you're facing Goliath in your life, remember that you're not in the battle for yourself, but God said, I'm going to use the Goliath in your life to transport you, to direct you into the place of the fulfillment of what I have called you to do. Get your heart ready to fulfill your calling and walk out the power of what he's instilled in you. Now, can you give God praise? Amen. Father God, I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this house. I thank you that each one of us have a destiny and a calling. That, Lord, that you have set us apart to do what you want us to do. You have said that we are holy. You have said that we are righteous. You have said that we are yours. Lord, our identity is not in what we've done, but in who we are. We are the children of the Most High God. We walk not as ordinary people, but those, those that have been recreated, those that have been transformed, those that have been called. Now, Father God, I just ask you to release the anointing, to, in, to direct into the calling, to fulfill the destiny that you have for each one of us. Lord, I thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, Pastor Eddie, a while ago when you were speaking about the Goliaths, I think this goes with that. So this will be the only one I'll share for today. Um, so today um, is the four-year anniversary of one of the Goliaths in our life. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, four years ago today, um, someone shot my oldest child, and she did live, and it was a miracle. Um, that testimony, hopefully she will share at some point in her life. I declare it in Jesus name. However, this is more about my inner healing journey. So I just want to be completely transparent and vulnerable with you today. Okay. And this will only take a few minutes, but there's no way I could put into just a two minute segment of what I've been through. There's no way I could just do that right now. So that will be in the book. However, um, I wrote this literally probably three years ago, what I'm about to read to you. Um, but the Lord's been stirring it in me for about six months and he gave me a word to go with it. 
So um, I'm going to read it, and then I'm just going to give you the word, and that's it, okay? It was in that moment when our paths crossed in the elevator, when we were leaving court, that I forgave you. You were standing only one foot away from me. You were with your brother and your parents. That elevator ride shifted things inside of me. It was as if time stood still, and oh, the silence was so very loud. If only I could say just one of the words that were on my heart to say that day. I stared at you, and I never looked away. It was that moment that I had compassion for you and what your family may be going through. As we stepped out of the elevator and you walked with your family towards the parking deck, I stood still, and I watched that moment fade away into the distance. Tears fell from my eyes as I prayed to the Lord to find you and to save your soul, to hold you as you go through the unknown, to cover you as you go through struggles and emotions that only God would know, to help you find the narrow path where love lives. I prayed that you would find the lover of your soul, and it was in that moment that a blanket of peace came over me. I wanted to talk with you. I wanted to hug you. I wanted you to know there was a better way. There's mercy and grace and a father who's so worthy. So to the person who shot my daughter, I love you. You are loved. Okay, when I wrote that, that was a year after she was actually shot. I want to take you into the hospital room the day that she was shot. Okay? This is a year later, okay? When I was in the hospital room and I was praying... It was a warfare that came over me that was not just me. It was not anything I tried to do. The Spirit of God rose up in me, and he did it. He did it, okay? But while I was praying, he started stirring up in me. You have to forgive him now. You have to forgive him now. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even thinking about him. I was just thinking about her surviving because I was told she wouldn't. So I wasn't even thinking about him, but the Lord remembered him too. And the Lord told me in that moment, forgive him now. So I began to declare in that hospital room as I prayed for her, I said, Lord, I forgive him right now, wherever he's at. I pray for life over him. And I prayed for him and her, but no one had told me anything that had happened to him in that moment. I was just praying for her. Then I was praying for both of them a year before this. Okay. Okay. So then let's, let's push forwards to a year. I write this because I'm at the court. And I'm leaving court, and this is what I'm going through. I brought you into what I went through at court. And I forgave him in a different way. Um, I can't really explain that other than this. So let me fast forward to now, six months ago. Six months ago, I was in my yard praying in the Spirit, walking back and forth, praying in the Spirit. The Lord brought all this to my remembrance. I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was just praying in the Spirit. He brought it all to my remembrance, and he reminded me of what I wrote that day about court in the elevator. And I thought about it, and then he downloaded a word to me, and it shook me to my core. And I want to share it with you. And that word was, in this natural realm we live in, there's going to be people that do you wrong. There just is. We, we all live the trials. In this natural realm, some people are going to go to jail. 
And some of them people might even be your own family members. It might even be your own child. And sometimes we have to pay for consequences of things we do in the natural. But in the spiritual realm, and listen to this word, please. In the spiritual, it does not matter who did what to who. You cannot, I cannot, hold someone over here in a cage and pray freedom and life to someone else that I want to. You have to free this person and the person you're praying for. God does not want us to hold somebody in some kind of bondage or cage because we have an alt against them. They are to be free in the spirit. He cares about their soul as much as he does the soul you're praying for. I just appreciate you for being brave and for sharing that word, Amy. I can't imagine the turmoil and the pain and, you know, what God has orchestrated and set up through all the different things that have happened today tie right into the word and something you said in there. And if you'll remind me, you said something about the unknown. I don't remember what that line was, but when you said the word unknown, that's where I was starting my message today. And I thought, Lord, man, that's just so cool. And I, I'm, I'm getting less and less surprised by it. And now I'm getting more and more excited to look for, all right, Lord, where's that connection? How are you going to drive it to the next part? Again, just like Pastor Gary saying he chased a rabbit, he really didn't. You know, the Lord really orchestrated that. And he was excited and shared about prayer. Well, that's what we were moving into was prayer and specific for the kids and stuff. But, you know, when you're going through the wilderness, when you're going through a dry place, when you're being done wrong. We all understand what being done wrong means, right? Uh, it's funny, as a teacher, the students would always cry, you know, I don't respect uh, that teacher because they didn't respect me. And I'm like, I, I don't even know if you understand what that means. What does that mean? You know, Levi really was in line to be the leader of the percussionists his senior year. But some things transpired, and for whatever reason, the band director didn't give him that position, and it really upset him. It frustrated him. And so we had a talk one night, and I explained to him that a leader is not just somebody who has a title. A leader is not somebody who has a title. A leader is somebody that shows that through their actions. So I informed him and reminded him, you are a leader, son. Continue to be that leader. Support whoever has the title. That's part of being a leader as well support them. But what happens is in those times where things don't work out the way we think they should, when we don't feel like we're hearing God as clearly, when we're in that unknown situation, it can be extremely difficult. And what can happen is we can begin to panic. And that panic can turn to fear. And what I want to talk to you today about is that fear is a dream killer. Each one of you should have a dream for your life. But see, God already took care of that point I was going to make. That dream for your life shouldn't be just your dream for your life. It should be God's dream for your life. And so when you're talking about fear, which is a tool of the enemy, killing your dream, if you're living out the dream God has for your life, it's not just killing your dream, it's killing God's dream for you. We have an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing. God is going to complete his mission with or without us. Now, we will have to answer for our actions. We will stand before the Lord and we'll have to explain or we'll have to, you know, uh, we'll, I don't know, we'll be judged for whether or not we accepted the call and carried out the mission that he had for each one of us. But if we don't carry out the mission he has for us, if we don't live the dream he has for us, it's not like that part of his kingdom is not going to get accomplished. 
See, we, we got to get us out of the center of the equation. We got to get God back to the center of everything in our life. We don't always know why things happen. We ordered the coolest water slide you've ever seen yesterday for yesterday. We checked up three times to make sure we had the time right and everything. We put it out to the neighborhoods and we told everybody. And stuff happened and the water slide wasn't able to be here. From my understanding, we only made one kid cry over that, but we did help him. And he did give Miss Tammy instructions that the next time we had a bounce house to make sure and let him know. So we will do that. Now, look, we can look at that a couple of different ways, but there's an unknown in there, right? As we're waiting on that water slide to get here, we've made plans. We know that that's a big uh, selling feature. It's attracting people to come here. And so when it's not showing up, we begin to get into the unknown, and then we begin to face panic and potential fear. Maybe yours isn't waiting on a water slide, but we are each facing situations like that. We're each facing unknown situations and solutions. God gave Joshua a word for this very situation that fits all of us as well. I want to take you first to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There are only a few words in that. That's one verse, and there is so much meat in there. There's so much information for us for overcoming the fear that we face on a regular basis. That word strong, he's not talking about a physical strength. I told you about, uh, you know, God lightens our burden, doesn't take the burden away, but makes it lighter. And that can be a physical strength. We're moving something, doing stuff. But this is a spiritual strength, spiritual strength that we're talking about here. It's mental but you know that word strong, it also in that case means to prevail. So when he's saying, have I not commanded you? It didn't say, have I not asked you? Have I not given you my opinion? Have I not tried to persuade you? Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Prevail. Overcome. Don't just try. Do it. Reminds me of Yoda. I think he had a saying there's no try, what is it, something? <laughs> do or do not, there is no try. See, maybe Yoda was quoting God, I don't know. We're just <laughs> Be strong. Nelson Mandela, who faced a lot of situations where he was uh, not done right, I'll let you go and read about him, today's lesson is not about him, but he made this quote. He said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Mm. So he said, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. I don't know about you, but I'm a scaredy cat. I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. I'll go to the restroom in the middle of the night, and maybe the cat goes somewhere and moves. Or I see something out of the corner of my eye, and for whatever reason, I get afraid. Maybe you don't. I don't know. I get scared. But you know, I've learned the protection from fears like that. I don't know if you do this or not, but the easy protection there, I know you think you take it to the Lord. I just get in the covers real quick and make sure my feet are under the covers. 
And that's protection. There's some unwritten rule that if a bad guy's in your house, if you just get under the covers and your feet are not exposed, something about the feet being exposed, but if your feet are not exposed, you're safe. Now, I'm not sure how that works because that blanket I got will not keep a knife from going through it or anything else, but that's what goes through my head, right? Ridiculous. But that's that, that's that feeling of fear. It amazes me how our country, specifically in October, purposefully goes out to try to get scared. I have zero interest in that. Not even from the evil perspective. I have no interest in being scared. None. But I did find out that those that pick on me get scared too. They do. The other morning, I went into Levi's room, and I just want to hug his neck, just tell him I loved him. And so I'm leaning over, and I guess he started to wake up at that time and saw this big figure coming over him. And son, he reacted, and he reacted with kicks. He started kicking and punching, and I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Son, it's your father. Calm down. He's like, oh, what, what, what? He got a little scared. You know, we all can get afraid. We all get a little scared. It's not a matter of do you have that sensation or that feeling or that thought. It's what do you do when that comes on you? Now, I've given some funny examples, but guess what? I don't know about you, but I get scared some things aren't going to work out the way I think they should work out. Yesterday, we're doing the outreach. Last year, we bought 200 bags, and we cooked a ton of hot dogs. We, you hear that, Michael? I, I took credit for that. Michael cooked a ton of hot dogs last year, and we had some people show up, and we had some salvations, and that was awesome. I don't mean to discount the salvations. But honestly, you know, I made it okay in my head, but it really wasn't what we were envisioning and hoping for, right? And so this year comes around, and up until the day of, I have no anxiety about it. I have no panic. I have no fear. But something about the day of, every thought comes through my head of, what if nobody shows? What if, what if this goes wrong and that goes wrong? And then when something actually does go wrong, and like we said, the water slide doesn't show up, how are you going to react? You know, in the past, I've reacted with frustration, anger, and just bad attitude. But as I grow and get more mature, I really do try to submit it to the Lord and ask him, okay, Lord, I know this didn't work out. It's, it's your will, not mine. And you know what? Like Pastor Gary already told you, we had people lined up here at 10 a.m. They were ready. I cooked hot dogs in the back this year. And cars kept filling up that parking lot. I don't know how many people came through, but I know we did this backwards. We got 200 bags last year, and we didn't give them all out. Now, we blessed DFACs with them. So this year, I said, we're only getting 100 bags. And I think we gave all 100 out in the first 45 minutes, didn't we? We could have used 200 bags this year. You know, but it's that fear. It's that anxiety. It's that worry. It's what if, what if, what if, what if. That what if game is a killer. That what if game is a bad game to play. Unless you're playing it with the what if something good happens? What if God does come through? What if we feed thousands with just a few hot dogs? What if we lead everybody to Jesus? What if we provide what God has for each person? Now, that's the version of what if we ought to play. That's dreaming. God's got dreams for this church. I'm going to share with the elders and with the leadership at our retreat in August but the pieces of the puzzle are coming together. God only gives you what you can handle at the time. He's got to train you. 
He's got to lay the foundation. He's got to do some work inside of you because if he gives you the whole vision, if he gives you the whole dream sometimes, even that will send you into a panic. Even good things in our lives can send us into a panic. I mean, to be honest with you, we had an amazing, amazing time at the Passionate Pursuit meetings at the end of January, 1st of February. And I've talked to many people that felt like we were on track to possibly have revival, that we could have gone on another night and another night and another night. But you know what? I couldn't handle it physically. I was exhausted just after the three nights. Uh, you know, I, was a, I got to go down to the Brownsville Revival, and uh, Stockbridge Assembly had a revival at one point in time. And so I went a few times, but I wasn't there every single day. And I walked away from the Passionate Pursuit meetings. I said, Lord, I know you, you had a hand in this, and I know you want more of this, but God, you got to help me. I don't know how to do this. So we pray all about revival. Lord, send revival. Lord, send revival. Lord, send revival. But what we're not thinking about is, Lord, send the workers. Lord, send the help. Lord, send people that can do what needs to be done. That, that revival that took place out in, was it Asbury? I mean, they pretty much had to tell people, look, we're doing this for a time and then we're shutting it down. And we all think, oh, that's bad. How could you stop a move of the Lord? But they couldn't handle but so much. They couldn't physically handle the numbers that were showing up. But see, that's where we got to go back to the Lord. I'm running a little bit of a tangent here on purpose. Because we keep thinking that, okay, revival has started, and it should go on in that place forever. And that's not how it works. See, we get stuck wanting to keep doing the same old thing. What did Gary tell you that was? Insanity. See, you keep wanting to go back to the same revival with the same music, with the same preaching, expecting a new anointing and a new revelation and a new refreshing. But see, it goes in seasons. Wilderness seasons are biblical. There are times on the mountain, but there are other times you're climbing up the mountain, and there are other times you're coming down the mountain, and yes, there are times you're in the valley. And our job is not to be super high when we're high in the mountain and super low when we're low in the valley. It's to be even keel and at peace in all situations and to trust the Lord in everything that he's doing in our lives. You know, that young man that Amy reached out to maybe has nobody that's ever talked to him that way. You don't think that he's beating himself up? I know the movies portray bad guys as these people that have no feelings or emotions, but that's not the human beings I run into. I run into people that get into situations and they, they will tell you all the time, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean for this to happen. Then they start to embrace that identity. Why? Because nobody is loving them. Nobody is showing them compassion. Nobody is showing them Jesus. Jesus met with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans did not associate. Women didn't talk to the men. Everything about that scene and that situation was against the customs and the culture of the time. But you see, Jesus needed to minister to her like she had never been ministered to before. Jesus needed to show her love and compassion that she had never seen before, and it changed her life. Not only did it change her life, but I guarantee you it changed the lives of people around her. See, God's not just interested in his dream for you, but his dream for you affects everybody around you as well. And if you allow fear to come in and kill that dream, you run the risk of killing other people's dreams as well. Now, I don't mean to put that pressure on you, I'm going to take some of it off by saying it's this simple. 
relationship with God, intimacy with the Father, that's how you know the vision he has for you. That's how you know how to step out in faith. And that's how you know how to fulfill the dream instead of allowing fear to kill the dream. He says, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. What did Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are not carnal. I'm telling you, Amy, that was a great testimony. Didn't you tell us that again this morning? Didn't you say to us that, that, that in the spirit, that's what this fight is all about. It's not saying, hey, that person that did you wrong, you just open up your doors and say, hey, keep coming in and beating me up, whether it's verbally, physically, or any other way. Hey, you robbed me last week. Let me open the door. Hey, something else good you missed. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual fight. You know, last year, uh, somebody came through and they stole the catalytic converter off of one of the trucks, the Sherwin Williams, and off of our van. And it floored me. I, I just didn't know people would steal stuff from the church. Seriously. Uh, that's not how I understood. We, we would minister to kids that were rough around the edges, to say the least. And they would, they would talk inappropriately. They would do things that were not, not okay. But they'd get to that church building, and they would be keeping each other in line. No, you don't do that at the church. You don't do that at the church. And so it was really a shock to me that anybody would steal anything from the church. So I talked to the manager next door. He said, it happens all the time. He said, 30 days, they're going to come back. I said, okay, we're going to pray. So I began to pray. Lord, I pray conviction. I pray that they wouldn't do that again. And you know, 30 days later, that, that same pe- person came by and stole the catalytic converter off that same van that they just got replaced at Sherwin-Williams. I said, oh, my goodness. I went out to our van. I cranked it up. They didn't touch our catalytic converter. I said, man, thank you, Lord, for protecting us. I still had to repent, though, because I realized I didn't pray for their van. And I told him I was sorry about that, and he told me not to let it happen again. But <laughs> but the fight was in the spirit is what I'm saying. Yeah, they stole something physical from us. God provided the means for us to get it fixed. So it wasn't a matter of I want all manner of evil to happen to this person. It's spiritual. Lord, I want them to have a, a relationship with you. Lord, I want you to take care of the situation. Lord, I want you to remove any obstacle. Lord, take away this fear. So as we read through 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, bringing every thought. Let me say it one more time. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Saying you're not afraid when you're afraid is not the right answer. Admitting that that thought is there, but taking it into captivity and commanding it to obedience in Christ, that's overcoming fear. That's overcoming fear. When Paul was writing this, there's a story that uh, many uh, scholars believe that he was drawing from when he was creating this imagery of bringing in a captivity. Because you see, captivity... It means to subjugate for all you English nerds, okay? It's one of the big words. I needed to go further and find out for us simple folk what even subjugate means. It simply means to bring under control. But it paints this picture that, that it's not just bringing under control, but it's, it's this imagery of leading something in a triumphal procession. So you're taking something into captivity and you're marching it all around for everybody to see. And so... Theologians believe Paul was drawn from the story about pirates 60 years before Paul was even born. 
There were some mountains in the area that were there where they were infested with pirates. Those pirates, uh, they, they settled, they came forth, and they built many, uh, they, they came from different ports, different coves on the coast, but they retired there into these mountains with all their stolen goods and all their money and everything. And the reason they, they went to this particular area was because it was inaccessible. It was hard to get to. They could see an attack coming. And they, they continued to prey on people until finally, finally, this fellow, Pompey the Great, had enough. And he organized what's called a formidable expedition, and he cleared out the nests of these robbers. He reduced 120 forts of these pirates to ruins. And then he carried captive over 10,000 prisoners. He didn't kill them. He carried them captive. And what did he have to do? He had to march them through all those mountains and areas. Why? For the people to see for a number of reasons. First of all, it can be a sign to those that want to do us harm that it will not be tolerated. The enemy wants to do you harm. So when you parade that thought of fear and you say, I'm bringing this under control and submitting it to the obedience and authority of Jesus Christ, you're telling the enemy, you can try, but you will not succeed. But it also tells everybody else around there that's been living in fear that the threat is gone. And so when people see your life and they see that you should be in fear, but yet they see that you've taken it captive and that that fear has not overcome you, it now inspires them as well. And they begin to see that there's something to this relationship you have with Jesus. And they begin to get curious and they begin to get inspired to start their own relationship with Jesus. You see, fear is against the knowledge of God. So we're taking every thought captive, anything against the knowledge of God. Fear is against the knowledge of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when your thoughts go towards the route of fear and panic, that's not from the Lord, that is not of the Lord, and you don't have to accept it, and you don't have to take it. Remember, it's to the obedience of Christ. That's the key. That's the key. It's not to the obedience of Herman. Without God, I have no authority and I have no power. So I don't take fear captive in the name of Herman. I take fear captive in the name of Jesus. You see, we're not meant to be in this building forever. But it's easy to get discouraged. We've put in for two different buildings and we've gotten turned down both times. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to quit focusing on the dream. We have a dream to build a hope center, to build a spiritual hospital. That dream's been in the works for over a decade or more. And after that much time, you can begin to lose hope. You can begin to get fearful. You can begin to worry. You can begin to give up on that dream. But you got to take those thoughts captive. Dad talked to you about David. When uh, Solomon anointed him, the next king. Am I saying that right? Is it Solomon? I'm sorry. Samuel. Thank you. I knew that didn't sound right. When Samuel, Solomon was David's son. When Samuel anointed David as the next king, he didn't take the throne over that day. He didn't take that throne over that day. When Moses was used to lead the children of Israel out of captivity, they didn't inherit the promised land that day. And some of them got fearful and panicked and allowed that panic to kill the dream God had for them. And as a result, they never reached the promised land. But thank God, Joshua and Caleb and the next generation, they continued the course, the path. But it takes time. 
We can't be we can't be thrown off our path because of something we're seeing in the natural. I got three wonderful young men who we've raised to be God-fearing, God-loving men of God. But all three of them got to find their own way. They're going through the stage now where they've believed what their mother and I have told them, and they've been obedient, but now they have to decide what they believe themselves. And we have to allow them, which is one of the hardest things I think I've ever experienced in my life. And in the natural, it doesn't look like they're totally in love with Jesus. I'm not saying that they don't uh, follow him. I'm not saying that they don't believe in him. I'm saying that it does not appear in the natural that they're in love with Jesus. But I got to trust what the Lord's told me. I got to trust the dreams that God's put on my heart for them. I got to trust that God is going to do what he said he would do. Because there are those moments when on a Sunday morning, my oldest will just show up out of the blue, and I didn't know he was coming. I didn't tell him. I didn't guilt him this time. He just showed up because he wanted to support his daddy, and he wanted to love the things of his earthly father. And I know from my own experience that because I love Jesus, if he'll keep doing that, that will translate into him getting back to that love of Jesus. Same thing's true of your kids and of your family. But you can't allow fear, anxiety, or worry to be a dream killer. The other part of this verse in Joshua talks about do not be afraid nor be dismayed. You know what dismayed means? It doesn't just mean like you're downtrodden, like, oh, woe is me. It means to be shattered to be broken. See, it's one thing to go through a dry patch. It's one thing to kind of lose sight for a minute. It's one thing to have a little cloudy vision. It's another to totally give up and be beaten down and shattered. The world is shattered. The world is broken. What did Isaiah say in chapter 61, verse 1? He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To heal the brokenhearted. We have not lost sight of that vision here at this church. We are called to heal the brokenhearted. That is part of the spiritual hospital. That's part of the Hope Center. It is part of what we currently do, and God has got dreams for us to take it to another level. And that dream will come about the way God intends it to come about. We cannot be dismayed. Because if we get shattered and broken, then we don't get to be a part of what God's about to do. Notice I didn't say God can't do it. We got to get that square in our heads. Heads. See, that's the beauty of that relationship that you and I can have with Jesus as he says, even though you're nowhere near as talented as me, even though you still struggle with your thought process, even though you see in part, I want you on my team because I got greatness for you. I got things I'd like to do through you for this world, but you got to choose to be a part of the team. You got to choose to be a part of the team. Demonstrating courage when facing tough challenges and decisions will inspire others to overcome their own fears. It will inspire others to overcome their own fears. I like the way that Billy Graham said it. Something similar but much better said. Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. 
a lot of the protest, a lot of the speaking uh, engagements, a lot of the things that happen spontaneously is because one person decided to stand up. We read about these kind of people in our history books, and they did some great things for human beings. God is looking for the same thing spiritually. Taking a stand doesn't mean you're just controversial and always in the face of somebody. Because if anybody had a right to be that way, it would have been Jesus, and that's not the example he showed. And the only way you're going to know how to be that person to stand up brave and know when you're supposed to go forward or when you're supposed to go somewhere else, like when Abraham is called to another country or when Paul and them are told not to go into a particular land right now, when God tells you not to go somewhere. You know, we always have this idea that we should go everywhere, anywhere, anytime. God can do anything, anywhere, all the time. But the main thing we need to do is ask him because he's got a plan. He absolutely can go anywhere, anytime. But he's going to go anywhere in his time. And so if we have that relationship with him, then we'll know when to stand up vocally and verbally and when to be quiet. We never think of being quiet as taking a stand. But there are underground churches in other countries. You don't think they're taking a stand? They're not standing on the street corners and shouting and saying, hey, I got an underground church. We start at 10. Come on. Why? Because the enemy in flesh form is going to show up and either take them to jail or kill them. So they're not being brave and courageous? No, because if they still get found out, the same thing's still going to happen to them. So having a spine, being courageous, is not just standing in the face of the human enemy. Is standing in the face of our spiritual enemy and attacking him with our weapons of warfare, which include what Pastor Gary talked about today and should be number one in your bag of weapons, and that is prayer. Prayer is the number one weapon we have for spiritual warfare. I'm about to finish up. Give me five more minutes, please. Because the last part is the most important part. The reason we get into fear, anxiety, and panic is because we don't have a solution and we don't know what to do. The reason I can't figure out where I'm going without GPS is because I trust the person I'm with, and I have a conversation with them on the way, and I don't really look at where I'm going. I feel safe. Reality is I don't have a clue if they're a good driver or not. I, I mean, you know, it, you know, I, I just trust that's going to happen. If we feel safe, we can trust the person that we're with. What did the last part of Joshua 1.9 say? It said, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The reason we get into anxiety and fear of the unknown is because we've forgotten that God is going with us. we got to turn back and trust him. we got to come back into him. I don't have a clue why that slide didn't show up yesterday. It's okay. It wasn't the end of the world. It was a great event. Like Pastor Gary said, we don't know. Maybe God was protecting us from something. I don't know. But I know if we trust the person we're with, if we trust the person that we're in love with, if we trust the person that we're following, then that fear and that anxiety will not stay. It will not stay. Jesus backed this up in Matthew 28, verse 20, the last half of it. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So yes, God said it in Joshua, which is in the Old Testament, and then Jesus said it in the New Testament. So you're covered. And there's a lot of other scriptures that say that too. That God is with us. And it says, if God be for us, who can stand against us? Let me leave you with this visual. 
One of the acronyms for fear, you may already know it, is false evidence appearing real. When we begin to think something bad, that's false evidence. We got nothing to base that on, but it feels like we do. It feels like we do. But in Joshua, it says to be strong and of good courage. So do not be afraid nor dismayed. We need to bring fear into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You want your dreams to succeed and to come to pass? Step one, make sure your dream is the dream God has for you. Step two, take any thought of fear, anxiety, or worry, take it captive, and submit it to the obedience of Christ and replace fear with faith. Faith, a couple of things, a couple of acronyms for that. Forward all issues to heaven. Or maybe like this one, for anything impossible, trust him. Trade out your fear for faith, and the dreams God has for you will come to pass because God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Stand to your feet. I want to encourage you today. If you're scared, if you're panicky, if you just don't know what to do, that's a lie from the enemy. See, with God, we can be in the unknown situation and still be at peace. That's where that peace that passes all understanding comes to play. I want to encourage you that today is a day where you need to submit and surrender all that fear, all that anxiety. Maybe you don't know how that situation in your life is going to work out, but God does. Maybe you don't know where you're going to get the money you need to pay a bill. Maybe you don't know how you're going to get your kids to come back home. Maybe you don't know uh, what's going to happen with your job. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen in school, but God does. God does. Trust God. He is with you wherever you go. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.